Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am happy to present this esteemed guest, someone who I've been <laughs> wanting to get onto this podcast for a hot minute. Um, someone who I look up to immensely and am super proud of as well. Someone who I also identify with with a lot of similarities. But now, looking back at her journey, I'm excited to for her to share some of her thoughts and her genesis to now. But the one and only doctor, doctor, I, I, I'm not going to get used to saying that, but I, I need to get used to saying that. Dr. Danielle. So, one, thank you for taking your time in your in your married life, in your doctorate life, and you all just finished just to come in here and just talk shop, talk some AT stuff, talk life. Um, but I'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself and let me stop rambling. <laughs> well, Simi, I'm super excited to, to be on here and to chat with you. Like you said, we go way back and uh, we both have come a long way. So I'm excited uh, for today. But yeah, my name is uh, Danielle Torp. I am, as Simi said, I've just recently defended and got my PhD. I'm currently living in Kentucky with my husband, uh, who's also an athletic trainer and PhD. So that's fun. Um, but yeah, that's, that's me. All right. Well, I do have a series of questions we're going to go through because what's a podcast without a little formalities. Um, sure. so we're not just rambling for hours and hours, but so the people can hear your Genesis, where did your athletic training career begin? Yeah, so take it back to the my very first exposure slash when I got interested was um, I was a high school athlete and it really started when I played uh, football in high school. I played tackle football with the boys and that is when I met our high school's athletic trainer, uh, Mrs. D. Um, and I just got to kind of saw the things that she did for the football team and, and some of the other sports teams on campus. Uh, and I just thought that was really cool. I thought, you know, working at high school, uh, hanging out with athletes all day, you know, taking care of them. Um, that's kind of really where I learned about the profession uh, at first. And I thought it was that. I thought it was put some hot packs on, tape ankles, give water, provide first aid. Like, I thought that was athletic training. Um, and it just sounded really fun. And that's kind of where I, where I started with that. Same, likewise, started in high school and got a little niche and like, ah, I might, might have to try this. Um, yeah. why APU? Yeah. So funny, funny thing. So we had this assignment in high school and we had to pick three different universities for potentially three different majors we wanted to do. Um, and so there was this like specific search engine that we used and I just remember typing in athletic training and Azusa was the first one that came up. So I was like, easy. I'm just going to use Azusa, whatever. And then I started looking into it and I got really interested. You know, I grew up in the church. Um, I went to a, a Christian high school for a hot second. And then I, I transferred back to my public school, but um, it was about 45 minutes from where I grew up. So I was interested in that. Um, and then, you know, I just saw really great things about their athletic training program and opportunities that they provided um so i was like you know let's let's give uh, azusa a shot here so that's that's where it started i had my heart set on joining the athletic training program uh and haven't deviated from that since and remind remind me you were this you were a student athlete as well you did track correct 
Yeah. So I started my first year um, as a walk on, on the track field team. Uh, I was mostly interested in doing the pole vault, uh, but then I was also a jumper and all of that in high school. So then I had a, a stint at the, the multis, the heptathlon, uh, never did compete as a heptathlete, uh, wasn't quite versatile enough, <laughs> but um, yeah, my first year I did that. And then when I met with the athletic training program, um, they just kind of laid it out like, look, you can definitely still be an athlete, but if you're going to do this, you're going to need to use your winter break. You're going to need to use your summer break to kind of make up your clinical hours for when you're in season because you can't do both. Um, so I kind of made the decision then to just quit track, um, and just focus on, on doing my clinicals. So, okay. And then from undergrad from APU to starting your doctorate, walk us through a little bit of that timeline. Yeah. So I, we graduated in 2012. Um, I took a year off from school. Um, I was just talk about burnout, man, undergrad life was, was crazy. And we'll probably talk about that later, but, um, burnt out. So me and my roommate at the time, uh, we both had some family in Colorado. So we moved to Denver. Um, and I just took on a couple of random jobs, just waitressing. And, and I worked at a local YMCA, uh, and studied for the GRE applied to grad programs. Uh, and I ended up going to the university of Toledo in Ohio. So Southern California girl moving to Colorado, loving it, introduced the snow, kind of strange, cold. And then I moved to Toledo, Ohio, in the middle of nowhere. It was, it was the craziest thing. I drive out from Denver to Toledo and I didn't realize we grew so much corn in, in this country. Like it I, I just amazing. Um, so I went to the university of Toledo, uh, where I was a GA for track and field, uh, at Toledo. And, uh, the program there was a research intensive master's program. Um, so we did a thesis, a whole research project. Um, I got paired with a doctoral student there, Dr. Quinn Levin, uh, Dr. Beard. Now I think she goes by, uh, Megan and we did a research study on runners and that's really where I got my hand in kind of the research realm, uh, of athletic training. And I just thought it was the coolest, the, you know, fun, uh, you know, really challenging, um, process. Um, but my heart was still in athletic training. I was still working with athletes day in, day out, um, providing treatments, traveling, all of that. So when I graduated with my master's, uh, I got a job here in Kentucky, uh, at Eastern Kentucky university where I worked with track and field again and women's basketball. Um, and I was an assistant there for two years, loved it, loved my experience, everything about it. Um, and then one of the professors that I met at Toledo, uh, he had been trying to get me to come back to do my doctorate with him. And he asked me to come back when he was still at Toledo. And I was like, dog, I love you. I really want to work with you, but like, I can't move back to Toledo. <laughs> I just, I just couldn't. So, uh, and I wanted to keep working, you know, I wasn't quite ready to give up after a year. So I tell them I need another year and then let's, let's revisit the conversation. Uh, and in that year, he actually ended up getting a job at Charlotte. Uh, so then the next year when he asked me again, you know, do you want to come work for me? I was like, Oh, you're in Charlotte now. Yeah. Some things were going on at the university I worked at. So I was like, no, this, 
let's do it. Let's work together. So I started my PhD with Dr. Luke Donovan, um, fantastic mentor, fantastic. Um, And then, yeah, four years later, there we are. Title and all. It's It's official. You can find it on Google. You can find it on LinkedIn. Danny's a damn doctor. Now I want to backtrack um, to the APU sure. days because I like I love sure. reflecting on just the, our genesis and then where we're at now because I don't, neither of us would have imagined as we're Ever. in what, 2010 getting the program, doing some 50 observation hours with some really itchy gray T-shirts where we are now. No chance I would have guessed it. Absolutely not. And I found a picture of myself carrying two bags from back in the day. I was like, man, I wish I wish I was that skinny still. But that's besides the point. Um, But when you got to APU and you're like, okay, now you're full blown athletic training student. What were your goals then of where do you see yourself like, damn, in five years, 10 years, I want to be in this setting or I want to be doing this. What was it then? And then now, now that you're a doctor, where do you see the next five years going? Sure. Yeah. So crazy. So I started, uh, in the program, our first class is like intro to AT. Um, and I remember being in that class and we were talking with Dr. Sean Gately came and and was teaching that class with us. And he came as a guest speaker and, uh, he was just going around like, you know, I've worked in all kinds of settings. Where do you guys want to work? We'll kind of talk about them. And I remember in my head, obviously having that, uh, high school kind of scenario, but then there, I was like, you know what? I think I want to work for the Chargers. Like, that's my goal. Like, get up, work with the the Chargers, San Diego at the time. You know, be in the NFL. Like, that's like, that's the penultimate as an athletic trainer, I thought at the time. Uh, and I went around and I said that. And Sean was just like, man, I really hope uh, you're ready. Like, understand the lifestyle. Think about how long their season is. You're traveling. You're gone, you know, Wednesday to Monday. Like, you just your life is football almost the whole year round. And I was like, nah, I was like, I was like, I like my life. So, um, I kind of pivoted from that. And then, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have like a a specific setting. I kind of went through the clinicals, let the, you know, let the process kind of happen. Um, but at the end, my heart was always set with track and field. That's, that was my favorite sport as an athlete, obviously I did that APU. Um, so I'm, and then I worked with glory Fung at APU with track and I saw how it could be done. Fantastic athletes. I mean, talk about athletes, right. Track, um, track field, world class. world class. Right. Um, and the APU programs across country track and field teams were phenomenal national champions year after year after year. So, you know, working with the best, um, so I was like, this, this is great. I have a passion for it. I was always told if you like track, there's definitely a niche because there's not a lot of people who like working track and field. So there's definitely uh, uh, job opportunities for that, which held true. Um, but that was really my goal. My goal is to, to hang out, work in, you know, D1 track and field. Um, one day I really wanted to be on the Olympic trials. I see that same Sean, you know, he's, just got back from Oregon working at the trials. And I was like that, like, that's what I want to do. Um, so yeah, kind of funny, but our APU days, I would have never thought. <laughs> no, not a, not a damn clue. Not a damn clue. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I was always a good student, right? I'm 
that's why I kind of half succeeded at this PhD is just because I'm a good student. Um, but I feel like I was stretched so thin at APU that I was like a decent, like, like we got by, you know what I mean? Like we still studied our asses off. We still went to clinicals. I think we were both really clinically strong and that's kind of what held at least me, you know, my GPA really wasn't the best. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm always curious to talk to our old professors to see if they would have imagined either of us, especially me in, in this position. Cause I don't think any of them would have, but. No, and I'm um, sending them this podcast when it's done. And I'm like, y'all need to give this a listen because we were dropping some names in here. <laughs> like, no, but, but seriously, but, who would have thought? Yeah. But like the, the funny thing though, is that I always say that, but like, I, I don't, and I mean, I'm not going to speak for you, but for myself, I was never in a position where any of my art professors were like, this isn't quite for you. Like you should probably do something else. It was, it, I never had that conversation. I, they were always very supportive, you know, always just like, all right, you know, you're getting there, but you got to kind of keep going. I mean, Phil Ford was great. Chris Schmidt, you know, Cindy McKnight, um, Jay Liv, notorious Jay Liv. Um, you know, they were all so, so supportive. Um, and then, and then clinically it never got a bad, a bad thing anyway e- either you know working with sean working with glory working with ben um april you know kim all of them they were all so supportive i just in my mind always thought i was like the slacker of the group right oh yeah and i always i always thought i was like bottom of the class um and and i i guess i never really had a reason to to think that but uh yeah, no, I don't know. No. I, I definitely put myself I'm, I'm bottom curious. of the barrel. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely bottom of the barrel. Yo, here's all my tan sheets at once. My bad. Yeah, like, <laughs> I would. I argued everything. Uh, you know, no. I look back at. I was we like, did. Yeah. we did challenge. We challenged a lot. <laughs> With a lot. No shame, and I. I don't think that's changed. Um, but yo, I love that because I know when you came in, you're like, okay, charges, ultimate, pinnacle, at career. That's what you want, and now you're like. I kind of like my time. I kind of, I like, I kind of like yeah. going out on the weekends. I kind of like hiking. I kind of like doing this and having a life. Cause mm-hmm. yeah, the if NFL, like that is your life. You have no other life. Yeah. It is the yeah. ultimate. I grind. mean, you know, even when I, even with track and field, which I didn't realize, uh, you know, because my time with that has always been in a student capacity. And so until I was, the full assistant athletic trainer traveled, you know, cross country to track. I mean, you're starting in August, you're traveling almost every single weekend until the middle of June. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) I was like, what am I thinking here? (laughs) But I loved that. I I loved every, every minute of that. So, so right now, Dr. Denny, Mm -hmm. you still want to be doing more clinical stuff. You want to do more research stuff. What do you think the next five years are going to look like for you or how you would like them to look? Yeah. So, so really the decision and really my motivation, um, and and what I want these five years to look like, um, is, you know, I, I, I thought to myself, I've got, I got a lot of praise over the years, which probably went a little too much into my head, but just that I, you know, that I cared enough that I, if I didn't know, you know, how to properly rehab an injury, I looked into it before I, you know, I never guessed. I was always like, you know, I'm not so sure about this. Let me look, do some research. Let me come back. Um, and let's find the best plan to, to treat this injury that I've never seen before. 
And um, I had a lot of success in that, you know, going into the research world uh, and trying to find things was, you know, it's there if you want it. Right. Um, And so I think in my mind, I was always like, well, I wonder if I went into the research side, if I could help more people by producing better research on rehabilitation, you know? And so that was really my, my kind of push towards that. So, so the next five years, um, right now I'm a postdoc, which means I'm not quite a staff member, but I'm focusing on my research, kind of, uh, developing my research skills a little bit more. Uh, and I'm working on a DOD funded project, uh, for ankle sprains, which is what I've been doing the last four years. Um, so I'm really hoping to learn from that and just to continue to develop research protocols that are clinically relevant. There's so much research out there that's using this fancy ass technology that never gives clinicians a chance to ever use it. Uh, so really just kind of developing that and then working on, you know, disseminating that, getting that into the hands of the clinicians that, that need it. So that's kind of the next five years. Uh, hopefully, you know, I won't be doing a postdoc for five years. So hopefully me and my husband will get some jobs as some professors, but, um, you know, teaching in the athletic training profession, uh, and then continuing some research efforts is really the, the long-term professional goal on that. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna hold you to that thought. Cause I have questions that are going to piggyback off that, but I want to go back okay. to undergrad because you know me, I like okay. to self-reflect. I'm big yeah. on self-reflection. Um, <laughs> why I don't know, but I am. I'm big on people finding their why. If you don't know yeah. your why, you burn out that much quicker or that much more often. Yeah. Uh, depression, anxiety, all that comes in because I firmly believe if you need to figure out your why before you go find, figure out what or how. If you, if you don't know your why, you, you're going to be just meandering through, through the abyss. So when you're going through undergrad, did you ever have a moment where you're like, oh, crap, this is my why. And now you believed in yourself going through the program. Like maybe you like you're not maybe like oh, I'm not the best student, but, you know, you're a good student. Clearly enough, you're good because you just became a doctor. So clearly you're good enough. You know, you could pat yourself on the back. Um, what if you did have that moment? What was your oh, man, this is my epiphany moment. I'm good enough. And this is my why. Yeah, you know, I think. I think the, at APU, the why then at, at that point in the early career, um, the why was watching my mentors do what they do and the impact that they had on their athletes. You know, because as students, we do, you know, eight to 16 week rotations and then we leave, right? We obviously made friends with a lot of the athletes. I'm still a lot of, you know, really close with a lot of them. Um, but a lot of it was just seeing how those athletes responded to those clinical staff year after year. Um, and that was really my why I just, I want to be the person that these athletes come to and trust and know that they're going to get better and, and changing their life. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're, yeah, at, at that time, that was, that was the wise. I, I wanted to be in that position like Lori, like April, like Kim, like Ben, you know, all of that, uh, and I wanted to feel that I wanted my athletes to come to me and to, to look at me that way. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's really a why, but that was the, that's where I wanted. That's, that's the feeling I wanted to get from this job. Yeah, no. And, and the why is not always a, a 
solid thought or it's the, the why can be a yeah. process can be the journey is you're constantly finding yeah. your staples in the why and that that's okay and that yeah. i feel like that may have been one of your staple of like you saw the preceptors you saw the mentors like the the value they hold in the individual lives of the athletes that they serve damn yeah i want to be yeah. like that and how do i get there but more so how do i become not how do i get there getting there right that'll transgress the way Easy. it needs to but becoming get a job, get hired. Yes. Get a job, get hired, get paid 14, 15 an hour. No, I was kidding. Uh, yeah. Not really. Um, you know, and then, then you become that person. Right. Um, and clearly you, I think you have become that person um, just from the way that we connected in undergrad. I was like, no, Danny's going to find her why. Um, and just, just a good soul to do things with. Um, now that, now that you're a doctor, now that you're going like and going to be teaching, being a professor, um, a question I love to ask also is looking at the profession now and how it has progressed into majority all MSAT programs. And I'll mm-hmm. give my two two cents of the matter in a future podcast probably because I love I'll get on my soapbox and preach. But yeah, I see pros, but I see a lot more griping and like oh, just ekes me the wrong way. In your opinion, what are some of the things that maybe MSAT programs are doing right or what do you, what are some things that are just lacking and how, how do you think you can implement whatever you want to become now becoming a professor and more academia? How can you implement some of the change you think needs to be done? Yeah. So, so first a little background on my experience with MSAT, um, MSAT programs, right. When I was an assistant, uh, athletic trainer at EKU, they had just started, their first MSAT program, they still had an undergrad program. Um, so I wasn't really involved in there when I was at Charlotte. Um, they got through one full class as I was there. And as I was leaving this last year, they enrolled uh, another class. Um, and then here at Kentucky, I've, I've helped out just because I know some of the professors have helped out already since being here uh, with some of them. So I I haven't been too heavily involved uh, in these students' lives or anything, Um, but some things that I've noticed from that is, uh, you know, these students are are a little bit more mature than your undergrad. So I, when I was at Charlotte, I taught uh, anatomy and physiology. Okay. So I'm getting freshmen, sophomores, maybe some juniors that are a little bit behind or transfers. Right. So I'm seeing the, the youngness, and the, the inexperiencedness of college students, which I think is what we were, right? I was definitely, you're unexperienced. High school and college are so different. Um, you know, just how to be a student is kind of the transition. So, so these MSAT students are, are more evolved from that, right? They just went through undergrad. They know how to be a student. Their study habits are typically pretty solid at that point. So from a like learning aspect, um, I see the benefits. I see that they're able to kind of take on this extra knowledge. We're able to go in depth a little bit more. Um, but the downside that I see and really it's just coming from, you know, everybody wants to compare, well, my back in the day, my experience, right. We always want to compare it to how we did it. Um, and until I see this MSAT program succeed a little bit more, I'm going to kind of go back to like the way that we did it was, was better. Um, but they kind of get everything shoved down their throats so quickly 
and yes, they're older, so they're able to digest it a little bit more, but like, it's still so much material at a fast pace. Uh, and they're not practicing it quite the same as we did when we were students, right? Yes, they're in clinicals. They do go to rotations, but it's a lot less. Um, and because they don't know as much, uh, and all the preceptors were, went through it like we did. So they're not letting them do as much, um, cause they don't think that they're as experienced. So I think from that they're, you know, we're doing them an injustice by not letting them, you know, actually get their hands dirty, uh, as they're learning the material. And I could be, I could be very wrong on this, but that's just from my outside perspective. Um, and then at the end of it, we just send them off in full immersion, you know, go kind of be an athletic trainer, no more school, no more support system, no more anything. You're all alone in some random clinical site. Uh, and then come back and take your BOC. You know, I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I have hope, you know, I, I, I am hopeful in our, you know, the NATA and the BOC that they thought this through and it's going to be a good process. I don't know if it's going to quite pan out the way that everybody thought it would with job, you know, salary raises and opportunities and, and all of that. But um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, as a, as a preceptor, like I said, I, I hope that's, the maturity level of the students are able to digest material a little bit better. Um, I just hope that they take it as seriously as we did. Cause I feel like we were immersed the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> you lived and you, were you in lived and you're in the damn you trenches. lived and breathed, right. You lived yeah. and breathed it. And now I feel like they're, at least my experience with, you know, the, the several different programs that I've been involved in, I don't think that they have that same feeling. Mm -hmm. No, so. I, obviously, like I told you in the message I sent you before this, speak freely on this podcast. It's like, I don't want people yeah. to hold back. Like, if you really don't like something, say you don't like it. If you like it, praise it on by all means. And I don't think it, us speaking up about MSAT students, MSAT programs, of course, yeah, like you said, we're going to compare it to what we've, what we went through, what we've seen, the, the hours and the trenches that we went through. And now I'm, I look at this, I'm like, uh, like you're, you're chilling, you are comfortable going through an MSAT program. And yes, you're getting stuff shoved down your throat, like know this, know this, mm -hmm. know this, know this. And even, and 30% of the knowledge that I think that they were asking the students to understand, to learn, to be educated on, they're never going to use in practice. So I'm like, where's where, where I need, there's a lot of functional knowledge that's not being taught, um, which drives me up the wall. Cause like, I want them, I want a profession to advance. I really do. But then, yeah. like you said, when they get out, it's like, all right, throw them to the wolves. Good luck. You maybe, maybe had two years of clinical experience with some summers off with vacation at Christmas time. Like that was not heard of for, for us really. It was like, you're, you're in it. You're going to live it. You're going to poop it. You're going to pee it. You're going to drink it. This is your life. Yeah. True, like, so the, the, the thing, the thing that I'm interested with though, is because I, I think as an undergrad, you know, we, I understand what you're saying with we're learning stuff that we're never going to use in clinical practice. That's, that's, I feel like a whole different, but from just going through it in the different stages of being an undergrad student, being a master student, and then, then going into being a full, you know, assistant, full staff member. 
I feel like at every level I learned something new and I feel like the level before gave me just enough education, just enough experience to get me to that next level. Right. So everything that we learned at undergrad was just like the tip of the iceberg of what athletic training is and could be. But what it was, was it was, in my opinion, what it was, is it was enough to put you into a clinical site, care for athletes, do your job, not hopefully not let anybody die and not get sued. Right. Like a, yeah. that, that's, that's the, it. The, the basics. Yeah. We learned how to save lives. We learned how to respond in emergency situations. We learned basic rehabilitation and uh, evaluation skills. Very, very basic. Right. And then, and that was enough to get you into a master's program or to go work at a high school or, you know, a college or wherever you're going to go. And then I feel like when I was in my master's program, I grew so much. I learned so much more that athletic training was and could be from that program. So like my rehabilitation skills just skyrocketed. The the information that I was exposed to was just phenomenal. The different mentors that I was, you know, got to work with and saying the things that they learned from different programs, I thought it was great. So I built that, I used that went to my next job as a staff member. Even from there, you again, you get mixed in with people from such different backgrounds. You know, I, I worked with a colleague who graduated from Michigan State and their undergrad program there is very heavily focused on manual therapies and muscle energy techniques and all of that. And I feel like that was like a, a, a two-week course in our undergrad. You know, like it was, yeah. it was a here it is in a nice little box. This is, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And even just working with her for one year, it was like, she like sent me her like lecture material. And I was like, she's like, Oh yeah, we had a whole class on manual therapy. And I was like, Ooh, (laughs) right. So, so each, each institution is going to have a different focus. Um, And so it's not until you get into these environments where you're learning from people outside of your home, what, other aspects of athletic training you're missing. And then if, you know, if you care enough, you, you build upon your own library. So she taught me several different manual therapy techniques that I've never heard of or knew of or anything. Um, and then I just kept developing those. And so I think, you know, I don't, I don't knock the fact that these students are going to graduate with like the basic level of understanding of athletic training, because you can't, you can't bundle up your, experience in the MLS into a, into any two-year program, right? You're just, you're not going to learn that real life information until you actually do it. So really what I think the purpose of these programs are is just to get athletic trainers out there, understand how to save lives, understand emergency care, understand your role in these students' lives, uh, you know, and then continue to improve yourself and your skill. And, and I, I don't know what that looks like for these MSAT students yet, whether it's internships or fellowships, um, but asking them to dive into the deep end just seems, you know, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to (laughs) go. I don't know either. I hope it goes well. It's exciting, but it's, it's, yeah, I'm like, I feel like we're asking them once they graduate to dive off into deep end and, but we, they didn't even test out the kiddie pool. We just, we're just throwing them hook, line, sneaker into the damn pool. Like, all right, go. Um, <laughs> so God bless you, MSAT students. And if you need help, reach out to Danny, she'll help you. Yeah. <laughs> reach out to me, I might help you. Um, 
but yeah, I was like, I want to see what your thoughts on that. Cause obviously this changed tremendously. Even the competencies that, that competencies, proficiencies, yeah. synonymous terms, who cares what you call it, whatever they're learning now, um, suturing, all that kind of things were different than when we were there. Like, Oh, you can't break the skin. You can't nothing, mm-hmm. nothing, mm-hmm. you know, but now here I'm mm-hmm. just dry kneeling and sticking needles into people. So it's, it's just, it's very different now. Um, yeah. so I'm excited for where the profession is going, but I'm also like, I hope, I hope NATA, I hope Katie, I hope FADA, I hope these programs are listening, are willing to reach out and listen to alum and say, how can we progress this profession? And that was my big gripe um, at the meetup that I had last night of those students that are like year one or year two out, out of their MSAT program and certified. I want them to know and be able to function at a level of me with now going into year 10. Because if they mm-hmm. can do that, man, our profession will progress and we can validate mm-hmm. increase in salary. We can validate our pay. If we're going to keep yeah. a base level and just throw a master's on it instead of an undergrad, that's the only difference. That doesn't, to me, that doesn't equate to better pay because your experience is equal of that with someone of an undergrad. So yeah. I'm sorry, but I don't want to give yeah. you 65K, 70K right off the bat because you have no experience. Welcome mm-hmm. to the 40K and under. Well, 47.5 if you're exempt in California, if you're lucky enough. But um, yeah. that, that's that's my well, gripe. But I, I don't need to go down that rabbit hole. That's a big rabbit hole to go down. I was just going to say, you know, it's it's that's where that's where I'm not sure that they really thought this out, because when I was a staff member, uh, we were in a situation after my first year that I could have been promoted to an associate uh, position instead of assistant. But the requirements for, for that was that you need three years experience. And I was like, well, I did a two-year master's where I was, you know, the primary athletic trainer for this team. Uh, I had one year here. And they said that my master's experience only counted as one year because I was a grad assistant. And I was like, so like to me, it's like the, the it, yes, it's NATA, but NATA doesn't set the salary standards, right? It, it's my experience. But they could help. <laughs> Yeah, they probably could help. They, my experience is at the university level and at the university level, those people don't care. They're going to get away with the minimal, minimal amount, dollar amount that they possibly can to get somebody in that job. And I probably took a salary, my first job that was way too low. Um, But when you look at the cost of living here in Kentucky, especially the town that I was in, you know, it was, I thought it was a great salary, decent salary, at least. Um, but the fact that they didn't recognize my experience as full years, you know, that that's up to them. Like that's a standard that they made that they just created out of thin air. So it's like, I don't, I don't know who's going to be in charge of this setting the standard because it's not NATA and it's not Katie. Um, you know, I think it's us advocating for ourselves in those jobs that my experience did count for two years. You yeah. know, I don't know. Yeah, to know, some, some extent, like some extent, there is the waiting game of just like okay, some of these some of these dinosaurs are going to move on eventually, and then new blood will come in. Okay, now they might understand the change that needs to occur, and those are mm-hmm. when that our advocating words, whatever we want to do, are not going to fall on deaf ears or on ears that don't care. They're going to fall on ears mm-hmm. like, oh damn, we got to make a change. We got to pay. You got to pay to play. You want quality? You got to pay for quality. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to come down to that eventually. So I think we'll get there, but it's, I was like, ah, what's, what's her thoughts? What's, what does she think? And I'm yeah. thankful for <laughs> speaking openly. Cause like, this is, 
we should, this needs to be a panel later on in the future, but um, yeah. to lighten, lighten the mood a little bit for those for the listeners. So it's not super heavy and just <laughs> <laughs> a little, a little dense there. I'm curious, what would the Danielle now tell 2010 Danielle in regards to athletic Oops. training in her career without giving away the future? You can't be like, yo, you're going to make it. You're going to be a doctor. You're good. No, you yeah. can't be saying that. Yeah. What would you, what would you tell 10 years ago, Danielle? Um, man, that's such a good one. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of a couple things. Um, I feel like I missed out on a lot, you know, back in undergrad, looking back now. Uh, and I would just tell her, you know, be more in the presence of everything you were doing. I, f- I feel like you and I have these conversations all the time of like, we, we got to a point in our lives. I don't know if you remember this, this or not, but we were working late in the coffee shop one night and we were both just kind of having this moment of like, man, we're like really negative. Like we are just like, I just feel so negative about everything. I hate everything. And like, everything sucks. I just complain about stuff. And me and you both were just like, dude, we need to, we need to change. We need to do something. So I, I don't know if you remember this, maybe it was beyond that, but like, I feel like we both kind of like set ourselves to like, all right, let's try to be a little bit more positive of in life. But I feel like it only resonated inside because those people at the coffee shop probably would have never, <laughs> I don't think anybody found us in a positive move at the coffee shop, but um, I feel like stuff. because yeah, the car <laughs> shout out to the corn song. Um, Thanks Molly. Yeah. Big shout out to Molly. Um, but I, I just feel like because I was so negative a lot in that time in my life, I feel like I was never present in the moment and the experiences that I was having, you know, I, I have, I feel like some of our classmates have a lot deeper relationships with a lot more people. Um, and I feel like I can count on less than one hand, the like true friendships I got out of that program. And I would tell myself now, like be more present, develop those relationships more. Um, and you know, in everything you did in class, be more present in clinicals, be more present with your friends, be more present. Um, I think I just kind of was in this like cloud. Uh, and I just, I don't know how I got through, but yeah, be more, be more present. I think it'd pay off a lot now. Yeah. No, I, I, so. I remember that cause we were arguing about it and we got to the point where like one, be more positive, but regardless of that, just, just be less negative. You know, if we're not forcing positive thoughts, let's just, let's just Correct. be less negative or less vocal about the negative stuff that's going on in our head. Just, just, just stop. Um, yeah. like at the yeah. bare minimum, just stop voicing it so much. Um, yeah. and no, the, I remember that conversation distinctly because it was one of the burnout moments where we were on the brink of, we're just, we're just done. I was, I was so I'm, done, um, with everything. And I, I guess that is a, a good thing about the MSAT program is it's, they're probably less burnout, which is good, which I want. I want people to enjoy what they're doing because undergrad was just a grind. Um, yeah. And there definitely was a lack of being present for me, a lack of being present with myself. It was like myself yeah. will take the back burner. I need to get yeah. the grades to pass. I need to be functional at clinicals. I need to be awake in class. Um, mm-hmm. And I need to present myself in a way that I look like I'm functioning great at a university. Looking back, 
I should, I don't give a damn how well if I looked, if I did it over again, I don't care. I'm going to be present. I'm going to love myself <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to get the grades that I need to pass. I'm going to pass the BOC, but I'm going to be more present yeah. with myself. And, and one also from now, from then till now, there's still, it's still a continuous forgiving process of forgiving myself and my body of like, you put yourself through the ringer, apologize to yourself, yeah. forgive yourself and now move on. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that brings me to another great question, which is, which I like, cause now you're, you got the triplet of academia. So you're, you know, you got some wise words to bestow upon the listeners um, is what, what kind of, I hate saying tips cause it sounds so cliche, but what, what are some, some things that you found that helped you with your mental and physical health through undergrad, through masters and through mm. now just your doctorate? Like, what are some things you're like, Oh, these are some crucial things that you can suggest to people that are maybe thinking of going into a DAT or in a DAT or doing uh, yeah. a PhD program or even, even a second master's or MSAT students. What are some things like, yo, this helped me a lot. Maybe it can help you as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think I really knew this as an undergrad. I feel like which led to uh, that kind of year off in Colorado because just, straight burnout didn't know I definitely I definitely definitely was very social in undergrad so somehow I managed to fit in uh, a lot of good times at, at the Pinery uh, Thursday nights Friday nights Saturday nights Monday nights all the nights <laughs> oh, nice. Tuesday nights at t um, <laughs> just all yeah, yeah all the nights uh, and then even you know, so I don't know that I really have any healthy ones to say from undergrad. Um, as, as a grad student, as a master's student, I had a really good group of people, um, a really solid friend group uh, that were my classmates. You know, we were all going through it together. Um, and I feel like I always said yes to like the social events that were happening within that group. Um, because you need that break from work. And yes, a lot of it did, you know, a lot of us talked about work, um, but we all really tried really hard not to talk about work. And it's really hard when you get a group of athletic trainers together. That's all we want to talk about is athletic training. Um, but shout out to that, that master's class from Toledo in 2015. Cause I feel like we just, uh, we, we did it good. You know, I, I feel, I felt strong, you know, I, I, was cooking a lot and was training for a half marathon. Uh, my uh, husband now, who is my boyfriend then, you know, we did a lot of fun things. We traveled and we went to parks and we took walks and we just got out and we went to all the little fairs and we just, um, you know, we just kind of experienced thing, things outside of work. Um, and then in my doctorate program, uh, I, I took time for myself. I feel like before that athletic trainers have a really hard time taking a day off. Uh, and we, we look for it as a, as a, as a staff member, I know I looked for, it. I was like, ah, a day off. Like, this is great. Um, but then you kind of don't know what to do with yourself on that day off. And so when I was in my PhD program, I was like, I'm going to take a full day. Like I need a full day of not looking at my computer, not looking at work, trying to get your brain off of it. Um, and I think you need to just find something that you look forward to doing 
that you're like, okay, I'm going to do this on Saturday or on Sunday or Friday night or, or whatever it was. Um, and for me, it changed all the time. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, is my advice to students is don't be afraid to take that day off to rejuvenate because then I think it makes you appreciate when you go back to work, right? You're like, cause then like that Monday or Sunday, when I did go back to work, I'm like, ah, I missed it. Like, all right, I'm, I'm ready. Um, and, and there are some days there towards the end where I didn't take a, a day off for, I don't know, probably from January to, to June. Right. Like I, I don't remember taking a single day off. Like I was just constant around the clock and I hated it. I hated every minute of it, but I put myself on a, on a deadline. COVID certainly didn't help. So all my tips kind of went out the window on myself, <laughs> but, uh, but I only, I, you know, I was still forgiving with myself. I was still forgetting if I didn't, you know, get to get to do all the things I wanted. Um, Cause I knew that that time wasn't going to last forever. Right. I knew that that hard grind, I knew that that push wasn't going to be the rest of my life. I knew I had a hard deadline come this day when I submit my document, I could take a breath and I can relax and I can fucking enjoy myself again. Like, but I, I, I threw all my tips out the window there. And, and my advice is to, to anybody in that situation is try not to try to try to keep those good habits going even in the hard times when you feel like you need to grind because because it's going to burn you out really really bad your performance is going to go down your mental health your physical health so try not to to do that (laughs) try you were just try yeah but i you know but i i had three and a half really solid years of exercising consistently working out consistently you know, partying hard, having a good time. You know, I, I, I really enjoyed my life those first three and a half years. Uh, and then I just got on this stupid deadline that I put myself on to like finish and I threw it all out the window and it was rough. (laughs) So you can, you can do it. Love that. Love that. The future listeners, the future future (laughs) listeners. Well, I got a few, I got three more questions to wrap this up. All right. They're, they're, they're a okay. lot lighter. They're a lot lighter. Very, very easy questions okay. because this is coffee movement medicine podcast. I have that. And we're both coffee connoisseurs, coffee lovers, coffee addicts, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Throw the adjectives in there <laughs> for Toledo and where you currently reside for the listeners. If they ever end up in those cities, what is your number one go-to coffee spot in those cities and why? Oof. Um, all right. So I'm going to start here in Kentucky. Uh, there's this, uh, place, Le Petite, uh, delicate, deli- it's, it's more of like a pastry and like, uh, what are the little cookies? Macaroons. Mm-hmm. It's more of a pastry, uh, place, but they, it's like a French cafe and they, I had the best gingerbread latte I've ever had in my entire life. The second best, the second best latte period of my life. The first best is Kalani's uh, Christmas in a cup. Christmas that in she a cup. Christmas in a cup. Legendary. <laughs> for, any, <laughs> for any of the APU Cornerstone drinkers, ex workers, Kalani's Christmas in a cup. Just magic. That Perfection. by far the, the best latte. 
perfection, by far the best latte ever in my life. Uh, but this was the second best latte of, of my life, that Le Petite uh, here in Lexington, Kentucky. And it happens to be across from one of our favorite breweries in town. So, you know, quite life. brew and coffee. Yeah, pretty hard. Um, in Charlotte, uh, there's a place called the Summit, Summit Coffee, also next to a brewery. I don't know how this keeps happening. <laughs> um, but I frequented there a lot um, writing uh, and they have a really good uh, cold press, cold brew, iced coffee. Summits in Noda in Charlotte. Um, Toledo, you know, I don't remember really a coffee shop in Toledo because I feel like I was always in class or at work. So a lot of my coffee came from uh, my own coffee pot and the coffee pot in the GA land, is what we called it just had that thing brewing 24 seven and uh, didn't have a lot of time to really explore the coffee scene in Toledo. Yeah. So apologies oh. for that one. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> all right. All right. Final question is I'm going to put a timer on. It, it could be, it's, it's a gut reaction. Okay. okay. But you are going to have five seconds, five, which I think it's quite a bit. Okay. <laughs> you could think of any question to ask me, but you have five seconds to think of it starting now. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Or <laughs> no, no, time. Three, wait, wait. Two. No, I missed the question. You could ask me any question. No, no. Oh, I get me. to ask you. Yeah, a any topic, any drama, doesn't matter. Oh, unfiltered. Sugar. Five seconds start now. Um. Ooh. Time's up. What's your question? All right. Just cause, just cause that five seconds is really hard. Yes. Um, <laughs> it should be. Let's go. Um, let's go first. And imp- I, I wanted to do first impression of me. If you remember it. First impression of you. Yeah. No, I was going to ask a different one, but I, I don't okay, know if pick, people pick, are going to listen. So. Doesn't that's matter. It, that's it. Go, go, go. Uh, you can pick the <laughs> other one. doesn't matter if they listen or not. We might be the only ones listening to our own podcast. That's totally fine. So you pick question one or is it question two? All right. Uh, no, just we'll just stick with one. Okay. First impression of Danielle Torp. Yeah. Yeah. Loud. <laughs> Obnoxious. Uh, yeah. But like. All right, but but I think we could be homies. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like in the observation <laughs> class with Chris, I was like, I don't, you don't know what you're getting into with me, Chris Schmidt. I'm sorry. But then you come in, you're just just super tomboy, vans to the wall. I'm here. This is my shit. I got my coffee, got my bagel, that kind of guy. Like, I'm here. To, I'm here to fucking play, but I'm here to I'm here to learn. Let's get this show on the road. I was like, all right. And the, the term that I've dubbed over the years is blue collar bougie. I'm like, yo, Danny fits this blue collar bougie. I was like, this is this is it. This is it. But at first I was like, yo, she about to be loud. People are going to hate her. But I was like, who cares? That's funny. Who cares? Like, she come in the room. She don't she don't. You are you're the gold standard of like DGAF at that moment. Like, I'm here. This is my what? life. That's funny. Yeah. Which is, I think. Which is, I think, is why we got along so well because we were neither of us like really cared 
about anything. And I was just like, hell yeah, he's opinionated. He's about to say some stuff. Like he's about to tear this place from left to right. And like, I want to be a part of that fucking crazy train. <laughs> train still going. Train's going. Train's still going. Hey, stop it. It's not stopping. Oh man. I am. I am so happy. I got to get to you on this to hear your thoughts and to yeah. the over 1 million subscribers currently. Just kidding. Um, that are going to probably listen on the podcast. Uh, words of wisdom were shared here. I'm happy. I'm honored to be your friend, to be your colleague, to be your your cheerleader, be your hype person. I I am one excited for the next five ten years of your career because you're just you're gonna you're gonna bring some good change, and that that's it's gonna be phenomenal. And I hope to be continue to be a part of your career, a part of your life. Um, I I owe you guys a trip. I got to come out there. I gotta try. I gotta try this gingerbread latte. Now that's my goal in life. Right now, is in the next five years, I need to try this gingerbread latte. Um, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you I mean, for being a, on here. It's been a pleasure. Always, always glad to catch up. And uh, I, I, I do want to say, just I appreciate all of your encouragement over those last, you know, couple of years in my PhD program. You really kept me going when I needed that. And, and, uh, I tried to do the same for others now and, and, and for you as you're finishing up, not finishing in the middle of school, really kind of in the middle of the grind still. So best of luck to you. And, and I'm here and I look forward to doing this again when you do hit those 1 million subscribers. We'll get there. <laughs> Mark my words yeah, right yeah, yeah. now, <laughs> July, 2020, 2021. If this, doesn't, if this doesn't put you over the top, I don't know what will. <laughs> uh, it's only because of you, not because of me. Let's be honest here. I mean, you're wearing the perfect shirts. Elevate, man. We're going to elevate this, this, this profession. Yeah. Hey, look at that. New Orleans. Oh, Lord. But anyways, thank you again. <laughs> really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, fellow homo sapiens, for listening in. Of course, if you enjoyed what you heard and want more, please feel free to click that subscribe button and give this journey a follow. If you have any questions, concerns, etc. for myself or the guest, please leave a comment or shoot me a DM. As well as if you have coffee, drink suggestions or locations, I am all ears. Again, here at Moon Prescribe, we aim to build authentic connections and embrace the beautiful world of human movement. We do this in respect to how our bodies were and are intended to be used and cared for as homo sapiens.